Welcome back, everybody, to the Cinema Condition with your host, filmmaker and creator of the Nerdcore Podcast Network, Raul Alejandro Mendoza. And as always, we are here for another movie with another guest, as this week we are inviting Aaron Brooks to discuss Wong Kar Wai's 1995 crime drama film, Fallen Angels. And none other than the good old Aaron is here. I'm going to go and let him introduce himself. And Hello, how are you doing, man? Uh, I'm very excited to be here um, <clears throat> and talking about the greatest living filmmaker in Wong Kar Wai. Uh, he is not only my favorite, but also the best, um, yeah. in my opinion, for so many reasons. We'll get into a lot of them today. Um, and I like that we're picking uh, more... Not like super obscure movie of his, but I think a more obscure of his filmography. Um, you know, I think a lot of, of at least three or four other movies come to mind for people with Juan Carvalho, if they're familiar. I was going to say, you know, Days of Being Wild is quite the, uh, well, it's not obscure. It's mm-hmm. it's very intimate, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was forming a lot of what we see in Fallen yeah. For sure, that style was finding its legs a lot in those early yeah. and days of being wild. Definitely worth checking out. His early stuff is just uh, it's it's forming what you see. I think the culmination in movies like this, and then it's more perfected as we go on to like in the mood for love and things like that. Mm-hmm. As well. Aaron is a cinephile, and he's a friend of mine that I've met through. Sabrina Ramirez's uh, Patreon. Uh, Sabrina has been on the show before. She was last year to do Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind, and she will be back to do Short Term 12 on the Cinema Condition Season 2. Uh, more to come about that later, uh, because she is part of the first five episodes that will be released, but we still need to schedule her date to do it. But Erin uh, is a fan of international cinema, a fan of classic cinema, a lot of uh, he's a very big fan of what's it called uh, the stuff from the sixties and seventies as I've gotten to know him. But uh, Aaron, you want to tell him about a little bit about yourself, man? Yeah, I mean that covers a bit of it. Um, and th- I just uh, yeah, I'm first and foremost uh, just a movie lover. Uh, I just and I really love to watch movies with no reason to watch them. I just like to stumble across a movie and watch it. It doesn't have to be trending or being talked about on Twitter or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I just stumble across movies and especially I am a business owner. I own my own dog walking and dog boarding company. And with the current, with the you know pandemic times, definitely business has been down. So I have had more time to watch a lot of movies. So this quarantine I've caught up on, I can't, tell you how many classics um you know and just uh it never gets old to see a great movie and just wonder where where it's been your whole life and definitely fallen angels for me was one of those but yeah i'm just uh i just love yeah i just love movies um we hit it off immediately in sabrina's uh chat pretty quickly when we lost just about everybody else when we went off onto our tangents with whatever filmmakers we covered but I felt like, particularly when we started speaking about Wong Kar Wai, that's when we realized, yeah, uh, yeah, we gotta, we definitely have a lot to talk about here. Um, I, I feel that's pretty universal with most people who are obsessed with Wong Kar Wai. If you are, you're, 
most likely going to be a friend of mine, to be honest, because you're at least having some perspective and worldviews that I can at least understand. I'm not saying they have to be identical, but there's just a certain, certain, I th- feel life view that goes with the appreciation of Wong Kar Wai's work. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Aaron and I hit it off and we've been uh, steadily talking about film for a lot of time. And uh, yeah, Aaron, I'm going to be real honest. Uh, Aaron is in here because we had to remove some, you know, slots. We were like, Hey, some people are not, you know, some, some of these slots are falling through and I had to make sure that Aaron slipped in here on the, on, you know, he slipped in here and I said, okay, I had a couple of other people, you know, I had Aaron, I had Patrick. I was like, okay, if anything happens, these two are going to find their way into season two. And well, I'm glad that today we're able to get this going and be able to talk about this film with, uh, with Aaron, because this is the movie that Aaron and I kind of, we were like, Hey, yeah, you know, Juan Car, Fallen Angel. Like we were like, yeah, this, this movie's fucking incredible. It's, and there's a lot to discuss here, but yes. um, I, I'm glad that I was able to bring him on because you know, bring you on, man. Because hey, let's go. It's about damn time I get you on here. You know? Yeah, I mean that is that is very fitting. I'm more than happy to fill in anybody who is familiar with me. If if I have the availability to talk about movies I love, I'm gonna do it at any point of the day, any point in the night. I mean, I was on a I was on a podcast last night talking about short term twelve at two in the morning. So it's like. Yeah. Just you say the time and the place and I'll be here. So yeah. anytime you need me, I'm here. Uh, so I'm glad to be your fallen angel today. All right. Well, I thank you, man, because uh, I, I, I cannot wait to discuss this film. But yeah. if anything, I can't wait to discuss the filmmaker known as Wong Kar Wai. Um, and because this is the first film from Wong Kar Wai, that means I have never introduced the audience to the filmmaker known as Wong Kar Wai. So I've got my notes in here to go down. So I've got quite the paragraph of stuff that I'm going to read. I truly want to go deep and tell you all about Wong Kar Wai. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce you all to the director, screenwriter, Wong Kar Wai. Born July July 17, 1958, Hong Kong filmmaker and one of the pioneers of Hong Kong New Wave Cinema. He's known for his unique cinematography, atmosphere-building music, and non-linear narratives within his films. He began his his career by writing for soap operas. And there is a limited amount of soap operas you'll see. But Wong Kar Wai says he wrote pretty much almost like 50-plus, but a lot of them were uncredited roles for Mm -hmm. soap operas. But then he made his debut in 1988, with his first film, As Tears Go By. As Tears Go By was not your conventional way at looking at the at the crime, you know, gangster genre that was taking over Hong Kong at the time. He kind of brought an unorthodox way to it, and thus we were introduced to the filmmaker, Wong Kar Wai, and his style that would start to evolve. He goes for from after that, he goes more into, you know, unconventional personal stories, whereas, you know, following the genre that is famous at the time. And he continues his work in 1990 with his first with his second film, Days of Being Wild. 
And then from there, in 1992, he does a Wuxia film called Ashes of Time that was more so, you know, along the lines of, like, the work that he was doing beforehand as, like, you know, assistant directors and stuff. And he was kind of like, hey, you know, I'll take my crack at it. But, you know, this is more so in a way of saying thank you to those who gave me a chance before and working with them during these types of films. But both of these films did not do well at the boxes, even though they were nominated for several Hong Kong film awards. Then, in 1995, he rises to prominence, international prominence with Chongqing Express. And with that is with his first time that he is, what's it called, uh, really gets up there in the international world and he really has his name be cemented. But then it is until 1997 with Happy Together that he is nominated for the first time for Best Director at Cannes Film Festival. And then from there, of course, in 2000, he makes basically his masterpiece In the Mood for Love, which he is not what's called nominated for best director. He's not nominated for Palm Dior, but Tony Chung wins the best actor for that film at con. Yep. And then after that, in 2004, he continues on this trilogy of days of being wild in the mood for love. And he creates 2046. And it is, it is a sci-fi kind of drama film and romance drama film. And uh, he continues on with that. And he creates, in 2007, his first and only international film, My Blueberry Nights. Mm -hmm. And uh, after that, of course, his most recent work is The Grandmaster, which has like three versions available to watch. Um, but, you know, I've, well, I've never watched The Grandmaster. But once again, this is another one that was more of an homage and a thank you to those who allowed him to work on sets as an assistant director throughout his uh, very, like, Wuxia film times. And then, of course, we are eagerly awaiting the next film from Wong Kar Wai, which is supposed to be the fourth installment in this tetralogy, tetralogy Blossom Shanghai. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm very excited for that. I'm very, very excited. And uh, that is the filmmaker Wong Kar Wai. I mean, the man is obsessed and in love with 60s Hong Kong, and they are usually the setting of most of his films. His movies are very grimy. They're very filled with neon and pastel lighting. And there's a lot of rain in a lot of them. But Wong Kar is probably one of the most influential filmmakers you will ever watch. He has taken a lot, a lot of influence from Jean-Luc Godard, Martin Scorsese, and the likes of other filmmakers. I mean, what's it called? There's, there's a saying that they say. After John Luke Gerard, there is Wong Kar Wai, and then cinema stopped after Wong Kar Wai. Yes. That's it. There is nothing been coming after Wong Kar. We have yet to see anything that is beyond Wong Kar. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What was our first, uh, Aaron, your first film that you watched from Wong Kar? Why? Uh, my first film that I watched from Wong Kar Wai was In the Mood for Love. Um, so, um, I mean, it was just the. The, it's got to be his most acclaimed, critically acclaimed film, most widely acknowledged or widely known, and most avail most widely available. And so, uh, yeah, I watched this, and um, after it, I def I've absolutely admired it. I was just 
blown away by it, but I definitely had some idea of who Wong Kar Wai was, but not exact. I did had no idea what I was getting into once I after after that I went into Chunking Express and then I went into Fallen Angels and then it was a whole nother level of uh, that he had hidden my soul. If I'm being yeah. honest, with those two that really repainted how I viewed in the mood for love after I watched his other work, watching in the mood for love alone without his other work is such a different piece of work for me than including the context of his other work. I've lied. Um, In the mood for love was not my first film from him. Um, I, so um, way, way back then pre Corona times um, I was in my production class and one of our assignments was, hey, here are 16 lines of dialogue. You are only allowed to make a short or a feature film with these 16 lines of dialogue. Nothing else can be used. Only these 16 lines of dialogue are allowed to be used. And you need to create the film in the style of a genre or a director. And my group and my group decided, well, some, it was a girl in there who decided to choose the filmmaker, the style of one car. Why? And I was like, I've never seen a damn thing from one car. Why? So I said, let me go ahead and get in, get into this because I'm directing this project. Mm-hmm. So I went on on Criterion Channel. I watched Kung King Express first. Wow. And then I watched In the Mood for Love. After that, I watched what they called uh, uh, Fallen Angels. After that, I watched As Tears Go. You know, I've, I've watched, I pretty much only, I what they call Watch Days of Being Wild. I've watched basically everything except for As Tears Go By. Ashes of Time and the uh, My Blueberry Nights and the Grandmaster. Grandmaster, okay. yeah. I've watched pretty much all the other stuff though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sadly, that project never came to fruition because of the pandemic striking in March. So we were not, we could not do that project. We literally filmed the first two scenes, and that was it. There was nothing else that we got done. So it was a super incomplete film, and I never got to do it. And I'm I'm kind of um, you know I'm kind of uh, glad that what's it called um, it didn't happen because now if I can approach the project now I can definitely bring Wong Kar Wai's visual style back then with just watching one film nope yep. nope nope I think it doesn't really <clears throat> matter with somebody like Wong Kar Wai which film you start with then yeah because I started with In the Mood for Love I was like oh if I would have started with something else maybe I would have had a better idea, but I just think he, he puts him, he puts his full self into all his movies, but I think you have to see more than one to get yourself yeah. still. Yeah. I don't think it matters which two you choose though. I think you can yeah. choose two and get almost a complete view. And then from there you should see all of it. But yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Well, today we're not talking about as tears go by in the movie love. None of those films. Uh, we're discussing his 1999, 1995 film, Fallen Angels. And, uh, well, without further ado, let me go ahead and introduce to you all to Wong Fallen Angels. All right. Originally, this film was going to be the third story of Chungking Express. But Wong Kar Wai felt that the film Chunking Express was already complete with the two stories that he already had involved in that in that film, and decided to develop the story of Fallen Angels for another film, for a separate film. Even though Wong Kar Wai does say you should watch Chunking Express and 
Fallen Angels together as one film. If he could have made a three-hour film, he would have made Chung Express as these two films together. But mm-hmm. obviously, you know, the man really does keep his up. Uh, his his movies at like 96 or 97 minutes like he never really kind of goes for like the two hour until you know grandmaster yeah but yeah and he shot main the main the film was shot mainly at night and that was that was that was intentional they want christopher doyle and himself wanted to shoot the film at night as compared to changi express which there are some scenes in the day and of course, he used wide angle lenses to really get in there in front of the faces of his characters. And uh, he does that really to show the detachment of most of these characters. But uh, I was seeing a little bit of the technical aspects. And one of them was a 9.8 millimeter wide angle lens. My friends, I am currently showing my face to you all in a 24 millimeter lens. A nine millimeter lens is nuts. I am telling you right now, like that is nuts. And also the aperture has to be super like small. That's got to be like a 1.2 or a one point aperture on there. So you're really letting in a lot of what's it called? Little like, so Oh, here's where I kind of go into the filmmaker. Uh, what's it yeah, called? Yeah, uh, explain explain, like, explain yeah. what you mean. Because I don't aperture know. ring. The, the the higher you go, so like 22, you've got it like this, right? You got it wide open. The lower you go, my friends, you're letting in little to no light. So at 1.8, you've got your aperture kind of open, like kind of like that. You know, you're letting in little to no light. Kubrick's, what's it called? Famous 0.9 aperture lens that he used on Barry Lyndon. Mm-hmm. Like that, like he is letting little to no light. So on a nine millimeter lens, which is ultra wide, you're looking at little to no light being, what's it called, allowed into that lens. And you're going to be relying a lot on external lighting. And as you can tell in this film, it was used, that external lighting. I mean, they used all that they could. And um, yeah. And that's where I want to kind of go in first, Aaron. We cannot discuss Wong Kar Wai or this film without discussing the two people who are his most important workers. You know, we're not talking about like the actors, of course. What's it called? He has what's it called Maggie Chung, Tony Tony Chung. You know, Tony, they've all kind of what's it called? Uh, been frequent collaborators. But without, but you cannot discuss Wong Kar Wai without discussing the impact of Christopher Doyle and William Chung. His, his cinematographer and his production designer. Without either of those, these films are, are, are not the stylized films that you can look at. Yeah. And especially in this one, you, you, you see the impact of Christopher Doyle and William Chung. Yes. Yeah. I mean, everything from, you know, the camera movements and the lighting placements are 100% a big strength from Christopher Doyle and Wong Kar Wai's uh, collaboration together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is one of the first times Christopher Doyle worked with Wong Kar Wai, I believe, was Chunking Express the first? Yes, Chunk, uh, I believe Chunking Express was the first, but I may be wrong here because I think Days of Being Wild was... I don't I, think I, Christopher I, Doyle was there, but just double. you can double check. But either way, Christopher Doyle, I just... Yeah, it, it's almost like you cannot say Wong Kar Wai without... Christopher Doyle and William Chung. I agree with you 100. And 
the fact that this is the first place we're going on this podcast just lets me know I'm in the right place because I was like all ready to bring up Christopher Doyle yeah. pretty early on. And it's, you know, leave it to the director to realize, you know, that the cinematographer, yeah. the production designer, um, Christopher Doyle, an Australian cinematographer, the the merging of cultures here, I think, is fascinating. I'm always fascinated by that. Um, that's presented in so much of the work in Wong Kar Wai. There's so many shots of McDonald's logos, Coca-Cola cups, when it's like very interpersonal, like moments in the movies to like kind of merge that corporate globalized world and with this such intimate, personal, emotional aspect of the world that they're exploring. So for Christopher Doyle to really get that, and I just don't believe that cinematographer can truly do his job without a production designer that gives yeah. him the tools to present that. So William Chung also just, yeah, but I mean, William Chung really embodies and really brings to that screen, the world of, of Hong Kong at that time. I mean, it's yeah. like, like Aaron is saying the McDonald's logo, mm -hmm. the what's it called? The rain, the, the, the feeling of the suffocation of the city is really, really presented because of William Chung's eye for the production design here, especially when we talk about the costume designs too. Yes. You know, you look at what these people are wearing. It's very reminiscent of 60s and 70s, what they call the Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, <clears throat> it's important. I mean, th th this is what, when I talk about production, I tell you, and I know for before I leave, I kind of had to be my production designer because I didn't have a production designer. But let's go for this. It is very important that you all always look at directors like Wong Kar Wai because these are the directors who work with their BPs and their production designers. I mean, these are people who don't shut out their DPs and their production designers, and they are literally in there. Wong Kar Wai, you know, some people can do the whole like, oh, I'll work on my own. Like, you know, I'm going to start my job without even consulting my production designer. Wong Kar Wai does not get started on a single film of his without having William Chung there to help him out and to do his work. So Christopher Doyle is also part of that trifecta that really brings it here. I mean, he started working with, with Christopher Doyle on Days of Being Wild. Days of Being Wild was the first time they worked with each other and Chung King Express is out. What's it called? Ashes of Time, Chung King Express is after and all that. So, you know, you really do kind of see how prominent an important Christopher Doyle's eye is to Wong Kar Wai. And I mean, it's, it's no surprise that he's been working with him ever since. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, there's so many repeat cast members as well with um, Wong Kar Wai yet. He doesn't, he doesn't use over and over again, the same actors either, but I mean, there is Wong Kar, he feels like a collective, his creative with uh, yeah. these actors, these cinematographers, I'm not trying to take away from what they're bringing, but they feel like extensions of him. And that's mm -hmm. just, uh, I just really give him a lot of credit for that level of cohesion within his group yeah. throughout all of his work. And it's gotten better as it's gone along for the most part. So, yeah. So fallen angels looks at two separate stories which are not connected with each other, even though they interact with each other at times within the film. Two separate stories. Our first story looks at a part a business partnership between two what's basically gangsters. I mean, yeah, hitmen. Gangsters, hitmen. Exactly. Yeah. But the woman is in love with the man, and the other one 
is kind of like, hey, you know, I'm here to do my work mm-hmm. and there's nothing else to it. But as life goes on with them, things get a bit more difficult. And our second story looks at a mute man who takes care of his father and who, um, <clears throat> who doesn't really have a job. But he kind of gets work here and there in the most hilarious fashion, literally bugging people until they pay him to stop doing what he's doing. And taking over their taking over places when they're not open. Yeah. Because they've already paid their rent, so why not operate at all hours of the night? He drifts and he kind of gets involved in different people's lives. And uh, we see the extent of what happens when he drifts into certain people's lives. And he falls in love with a woman who will he'll will never see again. As I as I would like to remind you all, I, I need to remind you all, sorry, these are the first five episodes, and I need to kind of get this out of here before we can go going. You are listening to this podcast as if you've already watched this film. And if you, there will be spoilers, I, I said that for the first five episodes, I will repeat this. And after the first five episodes, we're 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 done. We're what's it called? I'm not gonna repeat this, I'm not gonna repeat myself again. We're, you are listening to this podcast as if you've already watched this film and we are going to discuss this film as if you are part of this conversation and you've already seen this movie. So if you if you care about spoilers, then you might want to stop already because I've already let out a couple of things here. But yeah. if you don't care, then you can go ahead and keep listening. Either way, there is no spoiler warning here. There's a spoiler warning for the first five episodes. After that, I'm literally going to discuss these movies as if you've already watched them. But I thank you all either way for listening and stuff. But uh, yeah, I want to go ahead and, you know, of course, we've already discussed Christopher Doyle and William Chung. I want to talk about specifically the crime drama genre when Wong Kar Wai, you know, what's called, attaches himself to this. Because this is a crime drama. It really is. But it's not a crime drama in the way that you think about it. You know, that it's not a straight up gangster movie. It's not a straight up, you know, Martin Scorsese type of film. It's it's nothing like we kind of see in the states. This is a the crime drama is the backbone of the film, but this yeah. at the at the at the core of it, it's it's just a straight up drama and a romance film. Yeah, yeah. Wong Kar Wai kind of brings stuff like this at the t- to the table. I mean, you know, our first story we are introduced to basically a pair of gangsters, right? And but there is something between them, and we kind of explore that more within the film. And it's always kind of fascinated me the way that, that one car wide does something that a lot of filmmakers don't do. You know, when you're talking about genre films, you never bring that personal, you know, level to the film. You know, you never kind of like, you know, Scorsese is somebody different because, you know, Scorsese is Scorsese and he kind of brings that to the table sometimes too. But like, you know, if, if I remember correctly, like something like, I don't know, um, Law-abiding citizen film that just came to the top of my head. There's no instance of actual personal value to that film in the way that you see in this movie. Like there's no deeper conversation being had about life and love and, and, and the feeling of longing and yearning for something compared to the way that Wong Kar Wai does it. Yeah. Yeah. It's and and I think that's why you've seen a lot of his great movies receive little, acclaim little attention little box office success is that these are much deeper movies uh these do re- re- require a little more of a 
a deeper level of thinking than just, oh, I'm watching some gangsters fall in love, but they have to do one more job before they can go away together. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not what, that's not what it's about here. It's about the, the, you know, it's about the denial of feelings of loneliness, the denials of feelings of affection, the ways we try to swerve around those, the, um, you know, the male female friendship or relationships and how there's the inevitability of them getting blurred. And it's done in a way in this movie where it's not like a, like, what was me nice guy type of thing. It's just a, like, if we get emotions involved, things are going to get complicated here. We have no emotions. They're both denying their emotions while they both have emotions for each other. While they're like, nothing's here. It's just a, yeah. And it, yeah, it's just, it, but it's not as easily um, attainable, easily as graspable as, uh, we caught Jamie Foxx. He was secretly putting bombs in a tunnel underneath. Good thing Gerard Butler caught him or whatever happened in that movie. I don't know. But, you know, like, it's just like, I just assume I haven't seen Law Abiding Citizen, but I assume it was something like that. Long time ago. I do not remember that well. Let's go watch Law Abiding right, though, right? We're, not watching, we're not talking about speed here. We don't have to keep a bus above 50 miles an hour. Let's no. watch it for 90 minutes. It's a no. little more. A little more. Uh, so. It's a little bit more nuanced. There's exactly. a lot more being said in this film, and that's what's always interested me. And especially when we, when, when I had to adapt this man's visual style, I was like, "Well, if I truly want to put myself in the in the in the in you know in the hands of Wong Kar Wai, in the eye of Wong Kar Wai, I can't make just your 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 what's it called a gun em up gun ho type of gangster film crime drama. You kind of have to bring in this idea." of of love of romance of loneliness of despair there's an interesting conversation happening here about mental instability in here there's there's a lot going on in this film where there's so much kind of being said yet it is packed in so well tight it's 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 it nothing is kind of being left out everything is kind of be presented to you but of course it's being presented to you in a very highly stylized film and that's what Wong Kar Wai kind of brings to the table with these sort of crime dramas. You you don't get a simple look outlook like grimy outlook of of a, of a gangster period. Like no, it's 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 very much the city is an effect of these people. You know the 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 the, char- the, the city is a character. Hong Kong, and that's something I will always give Wong Kar Wai. It's kind of something that I always give Scorsese as well. New York is a character within Scorsese's filmography. And in this, what's it called? Hong Kong is a character within uh, Wong Kar Wai's filmography, especially these crime dramas, especially. So, um, yeah. And I'm going to go ahead and, and, and get you all teased up. So when we come back from break, we will truly dive into the deep bones of Wong Kar Wai's Fallen Angels. But first, I need you all to listen to a couple of words from our sister shows here on the Nerdcore Podcast Network. And we'll be back from break after these wonderful words. Sit tight, my friends. Hey, I'm Raul Ando Mendoza, and this is... Jabril Newton. And we are the hosts of High Flyer Radio. Radio. And finally, pro wrestling has come back to the Nerdcore Podcast feed in the form of a show hosted by Jabril and I. And we talk about everything and anything in the pro wrestling world on Mondays at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Nothing's off limits. Whatever you guys want to talk about. It is from AEW 
to SmackDown, to Raw, to NXT. Nothing's off the table. We can talk about it. We're going to talk all about it. And if you can get it a day early, you should go to the www.patreon.com slash the nerdcore and pledge to the tiers on there so you can get this show and a lot of shows days early before anybody else gets to hear it. But enough talking about it. We'll go ahead and see you there at the Squared Circle. Oh, yeah. Don't tap out. Tune in. Tune in. Hello, 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 guys and gals, and you're listening to The Ladies of Nerdcore. I am your host, Daniela Nunez, and along with my amazing co-host, Ashley Garcia, we discuss many things like social impact, pop culture, political realms, and any controversy surrounding the nerdverse. Tune in and listen to us bi-weekly on the Nerdcore podcast feed, and we will love to chat and hear your thoughts on our wonderful show. And thank you again for listening to The Ladies of Nerdcore. Hey, everyone. My name is Raul. And I am the host of The Impert Files. The Impert Files is an interview show brought to you every Thursday on the Nerdcore podcast feed. And I interview people such as filmmakers, content creators on YouTube, and podcasters like Colton Geschwander. And if you want to listen to that early, a whole week early, all you got to do is go to the Patreon and pledge to the $1 tier. And if you want to listen to it with the general public, then go to Nerdcore podcast feed on anchor.fm slash the nerdcore. And the case is closed, but it's not classified. See you guys there. Hey, it's Ashley from the Gamer Core. You may remember me from such episodes as Big Screen Mess, Mo Money Mo Platforms, and Brad Can Read. Tune in weekly as I blab with my co-hosts Raul the Nerdy Chicano and Brad the Random Germ about the latest news in gaming and gush over what we're playing at the moment. Oh yeah, and we got the deals too. Keep up with the latest deals in gaming and what's happening as I mediate Brad and Raul fighting like a married couple. Will Death Stranding ever come out? Will Cyberpunk 2077 live up to the hype? Is the next gen worth a $500 console price tag? And has there ever been a movie adaptation of a video game that's been done right? It's all on the GamerCore podcast, everywhere where podcasts are. Hey guys, this is Brad, aka Young Yoda. Raul said I had to make an ad, so that's what I'm doing. Um, it's supposed to be for Unstructured, but as you guys know, you can freaking catch me everywhere when it comes to this podcast feed. You can find me on the Nerd Cores, on Gamer Cores, on Nerdy Chicanos sometimes when I get lost. Uh, I mean, but for this particular one, I want you guys to go check out Unstructured. The Raul gave me free reign to do whatever I want to do. I don't know what he was thinking. So go hear me talk about LeBron James and Taco Tuesday, vaping, uh, so many other freaking weird topics that uh, Chimichangas, that's a good one. Uh, shout out to Deadpool. And yeah, I, I guess this is the end of the ad. So if you guys want to find me, you can find me all over the place on this uh, podcast feed. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. I love you all. And nerd up. Everyone, I'm Raul. And I'm Brad. And we're the hosts of the Nerd Corp Podcast, the podcast that talks that nerd. Not on this ad, right? And we come to you every Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday. On the Mondays, we talk the news. That's the box office, the news of the week, and your trailer talk, if there is any. And on Tuesday, we have our theme review. And on Saturday, you have a Saturday morning review, usually movies that have come out in the week or anything we want to talk about. Right, Brad? Exactly. Whatever we want to talk about, this is our show. If you don't like it, then you don't have to listen. We're the flagship show of the Nerdcore podcast feed, and we can be found everywhere you can listen to podcasts like Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, 
So if you want to talk that nerd stuff with us every Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday, make sure you tune in. And Brad? Young Yoda out. Welcome back to the Cinema Condition. And <clears throat> we're here back again with you all to discuss this film. But uh, as 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 you guys know, you can check out most of those shows that were on the on the um, on the ad over at Anchor.fm slash the Nerdcore, and uh, go and check it out, guys. A lot of those aren't active at the moment because of a pandemic that is going on, but there's still a lot of stuff being 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 um being transmitted over there to your wonderful ears. You know, we do we do the main show, we do the live show. Every now and then, Brad does unstructure, but you know, it it, it happens. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. go check it out and. Um, I still do not have an update to you all on when the cinema condition will be premiering on there. Because as you guys remember last year, last season, we would premiere on Sundays, the, the rerun on there for anybody who was listening on that feed. But uh, I will keep you guys updated with that. But either way, we're going to go ahead and uh, get, get back into this here. Uh, Aaron, thank you for letting me go get another water bottle. And uh, because I know right now, yeah, this ain't going to be just an hour. It's going to be more than that. No. So, uh, I'm going to, what's it called, uh, go ahead and um, get 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 ready here, man. Um, so uh, one of the first themes I want to kind of get into, especially with the emotions that come with with the films of Wong Kar Wai. Uh, I want to, I want to talk about, I want to talk about this, this, this dreadful feeling of longing in this film. Um, it's, it's, it's present through a lot of this film, most importantly, I believe it's more present in the second story. Um, you know, there, there's there's a longing of this man to 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 not to not just to not just grow up, but to to um to leave the nest per se. But he is afraid to leave the nest of his father because of his father being sick. But there's also this longing of wanting love, of wanting, you know, a partnership, of wanting, you know, to be more than what he is. But he seems to be grounded to this fixated reality of being like, well, I kind of need to work and I need to support my father. And but I'm kind of just this drifter within the city, just wanting to, um, you know, find out more about what's going on. And he, he seems to be one of the two characters in here. Who is who is the most confused about their place in this world? Yes. Would you agree with me? Yeah. Ab- yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. He's he's he and everybody who interacts with him is confused by what he wants, also because he can't communicate like everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's just like yeah. It's um, and you know I I love the little nod to Chunking Express with him losing his ability to talk by eating the expired pineapple, which is just <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, for those of you who have not watched uh, Chunking Express, you pretty much just got to spoil a part of that. But yeah, yeah that, that that's a very very slight spoiler. I, if you didn't yeah. understand that reference, then don't worry about it. You know, but uh, yeah. there's there's like those types of Easter eggs sprinkled throughout this truly spiritual sequel, basically sequel to Chunking Express in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, you have like some moments where this character is mirroring like Faye from that, too, where he's like preparing the sauces in the Midnight Express restaurant after hours and things like that. But, yeah, it's just he's looking for a way to belong in every sense of the word from romantically to with within within himself and who he is after his father's no longer there. 
Um, so as someone who lost their father at a young age, uh, father relationships hit me a certain way anyways. Um, so that is what originally truly drew me to this movie um, mm -hmm. was the relationship with the father. And yeah. last 15 minutes, I've told you this before, but last 15 minutes of this movie for me are the best 15 minutes in any movie ever. The last 15 minutes are truly some of the most uh, beautiful parts I've ever seen in a film. Yeah. But then that's kind of why I wanted to bring this up first. I was like, I, I need to discuss this feeling of longing from this man. And, yeah. and really, I feel like that's that's a really big, you know, thing within this film as well, because it's 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 much so as well, a, a, a longing from independence mm -hmm. that Hong Kong also feels, you know, yeah. you know, at this time, this is pretty much British Hong Kong. You know, it's been it. it it lost its what's it called? Uh, its 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 colony ship with with British Hong Kong with the British because of you know the what's it called World War Two. It gets it back after that, and this is pretty much a city that feels like it's longing for sort of independence. It wanted to be independent. Obviously, if you guys know, that is not the case because Hong Kong probably at this point will never be independent. It's now under Chinese rule, so. Um, and, and it reflects within this these characters, this this wanting, uh, and especially if we look in the first story, the woman, the woman desperately wants love. I mean, she yeah, is yeah. also very. You're talking about the killer agent played by Michelle Reese. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it ends with her uh, mm -hmm. on the motorcycle. I mean, and that moment is just unbelievable. She's like the, you know, just taking a ride home. After, you know, and I could watch her eating those noodles and smoking a cigarette for seven hours. I really, they, they could, I wish they would have did the Rooney Mara ghost story moment with just her eating. I mean, that scene with the chaos around her and her just calmly eating her noodles, smoking her cigarette, then takes the ride home on the motorcycle, talking about how it'd been so long since she'd felt another person, period. And she knew it was going to end. She was very aware she was aware of how short the road was, but for however long that went, she was going to feel this moment. And yeah. it just made it all the more tragic how much she was denying that longingness in herself throughout the movie. Yeah. And then you just see it cracked at so many different moments in different examples with her. I mean, you know, of course, she, she for the other, with the other man, she, she cleans his apartment. She makes sure that it's tidy up. She, she, she is very much into this guy and the guy is in no way interested in her. Yeah. And, you know, he, he leaves and he doesn't, what's it called? Uh, express that same emotion, but you know, he, he's going through something else. He, he doesn't truly like this lifestyle. And, uh, we'll talk about the criminal underworld of Gwen Carwise fallen angels after th this discussion, but that we're having on this theme, but you know, she is truly, you know, kind of just kind of lost. She's a lost soul within this world that that just is yearning for this feeling of being wanted and being what's it called, uh, loved. And you know, it's 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 quite interesting those those first shots of her lying down in bed, and and it makes it sound like she's what's it called? She's she's a fingering herself and she's masturbating, right? But it's not. No, she's 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 crying, man. She's 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 crying. She's feeling lonely. She's feeling like. Here is this person that I so desperately want to see me, to finally see me. But he doesn't. He doesn't. And and I can't force him to see me. Mm -hmm. 
but I wish that I so desperately could get him to finally notice who I am. Yeah, and, and we've all had that feeling at some point mm -hmm. in our life. And it's one of the most painful feelings you'll like, not to sound dramatic, but we're, I mean, it's one of the most painful feelings you'll have that doesn't involve physical pain. I think in your life is that wanting and that desire, that unrequited love, the, just the, you know, the borderline of an obsession but it's one way and it's just you know i mean just and even when this character does masturbate later in the movie in the um in the guy who she's obsessed with the bed the way it's filmed is not in a way that's sexy at all it's filmed in like a very odd angle from like a wide, and it was not done to be sexually exploitive it was done to again it, you know illustrate the loneliness and longingness of the character mm -hmm. trying and it's just like, I mean, it, it that is hard to execute. And yeah. just Wong Kar Wai, just, he nails it here. And, you know, it's just like, again, the nods with the cleaning of the apartment to how it was viewed Chung in, the, you know, Chunking Express here. It's like, I mean, you might as well call this a Fallen Angels Chunking Express episode because it's just, <laughs> it's so impossible to not talk about one without the other in a way because, but again, it's, it's almost it's inverted here in a way because now it's not being done as a quirky kind of trait of a romantic escapade between two characters. It's done as a real just lonely. She's sad. very much not a creation of the male gaze like Fei exactly. Wang's character is. Exactly. This is a woman with her own desires, her own feelings, her own you know she she's not the sort of manny pixie dream girl that Fei Wang's character kind of is. No. She's very much just like a, a she is a woman with feelings and, and, and goals and wanting to you know to to settle down and have somebody who can take her out of this lifestyle. And you know, of course, you know, <laughs> probably one of my favorite things is like, you know, whoa, couldn't end up can couldn't end up with a guy. Well, fuck him. I'm putting a I'm putting a hit on him. Yeah, I mean, all spare and love and war. All spare and love and war, indeed, my friend. That party, that part is probably like, well, if I can't have him, hey, literally, no one's gonna have him because I'm putting a freaking hit on him. If I can't get out of this lifestyle, I'm getting in this lifestyle. It's yeah. just, it's the yeah. human condition, man. Yeah, it, it one thousand percent. It's the human condition, yeah. and it reflects so well on these on this film because just how he brings that level of depth of these emotions, you know, especially love and, you know, the way that, that our mute, our, our mute man, I can't remember his name. Um, uh, correct yeah, me on yeah, that. Before. Ho huh? Uh, Ho Chi Mo, I believe. Played by Takashi Ken, Ken Shiro. Ken Shiro. Um, okay. So the way that he kind of like, yeah. you know, loves this woman who is not at the best state of her life. You know, she's, she's mentally ill and she is also clinging on to the past of wanting to be with this man who left her for another woman. Yep. And she is obsessive to the point where it is her everlasting desire to want to refine this, to find this man and find the woman and, and pretty much killed a woman, so that way she can what's it called get back with this man. Yep. But 
you know, we know nothing about this dude. We know nothing about this woman. I think it's kind of shown in the film that the woman is actually the sex worker. Yeah. But, you know, there, it's it, it's not important anymore. You know, the, the importance is placed on the on the mental instability of this woman, but especially on the fact that this man falls in love with a woman that he can't talk to, but he has, but he can listen to her. He yeah. can be there for her problems. He can dissect who she is and truly find out who she is that when she leaves and she comes back, she's a total different person. And he has not grown up. He has not been able to change who he is. And it's kind of what leads him to say like, Oh crap, you know, maybe, maybe there is things I need to change. Maybe I do need to grow up, but there's something holding them back from growing up. And it's, you know, the fact that his father's still sick and he needs to take care of him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's, it's, it's just like, there's like, it's waiting for the tragic moment to happen before like beginning your evolution as a, as a human. And that in and of itself is very, very sad and tragic is that yeah. it's waiting for a disaster to like create almost or to evolve. Yeah. So then what's it called? I want, well, let's look at here. Like, I think my, my main final topic, I, I know what I wanted to talk about, but you know, uh, there's something, uh, there's some other stuff I still want to talk about the criminal underground in here, criminal underworld of uh, one car wise films. First of all, uh, there's one of the most beautiful shots ever in a film to me. Um, you know, our, our, our hitman is walking, our camera is following him really kind of grow going down in, in, and one of the trademarks of Wong Kar Wai himself, the step printing, mm-hmm. you know, the frame rate being reduced and you're seeing him kind of go down, going right back up and, and he's got his cigarette and he goes into a room where they're playing, I think it's like dominoes. Yeah. yeah. It, it, or Mahjong. I couldn't really tell. Mahjong, I think, yeah. It was definitely, I think it was dominoes though. Yeah. And he opens fire. By the way, those of you who are thinking like y'all are making this movie out to be like not even gangster, like you know, it's there's probably gonna be no violence. Oh, one car why does not hold back on the violence. It's 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 there. It's there. The, the you know, he opens fire, the blood splatters onto the lens of the camera, yeah. and you know, we see this world of some pretty terrible people. Mm-hmm. And even though they're terrible people. We connect with them in the way that they're presented as just humans wanting to, first of all, make money and live, but humans who want to, you know, belong to a community and they find that community within the criminal underworld of this film. What do you have to say about that, Aaron? Yeah, it's it's just, it's humanizing the entire world and... It, it, it just with the particularly with the way the violence is portrayed in this movie with the step, you know, printing, I think is really effective in just showing that these characters are being affected by the violence as they're as they're committing it. And it's just like, um, yeah, for me, it's like everybody it there. Everybody who's involved in this is tragic. The people who want to maintain this lifestyle it's at the end of the day they're just wanting 
what kind of everybody wants in a way. It's just like to make money and be left alone, but they can't get out of their own way. And it's going to end up being their downfall. And mm-hmm. it's just, um, I think that it's not the violence. It doesn't feel exploitive. The viewing of the criminal underworld doesn't feel exploitive. It feels very organic and uh, human, which I don't think a lot of gangster movies do. I think a lot of gangster movies just kind of go the opposite way with it and make it a little bit cartoonish in some ways or like not emotional not emotionally effective and this it's the emotions put first with these characters and it's just showing them living showing them drinking and smoking and just it's like going to mcdonald's and eating eating burgers and and that chaos yeah they don't show they don't show them uh what's it called sleeping with various women like the sex worker who he goes and meets with he just makes out with her we don't see them you know we don't see them seeing him hit that hit it from the back or anything you know we're just kind of seeing him just kind of just be himself. And like I said, the, the, and it's, and it's crazy how, you know, like, like the, the criminal underworld presented in American films present well, as in here, it's this violin isn't glamorized at all. It's kind of ugly. It's, it's, it's not sexy to look at. It's stylized. Don't get me wrong. It's stylized. And because of that, it's visually pleasing, but it's not sexy. It's not, it's not romanticized. It's not glamorized. It's kind of like, this is what it is. And this is ugly to look at. And if you look at this and think like, Oh, this is beautiful. I want to be a gangster who falls in love with his business partner. Like, no, this is, that's not what this is at all. Yeah. And he even like has the moment that like, you feel like would be like, you know, in any, any movie, like coming of age movie almost where, he runs into his old high school classmate, um, the killer, on the bus mm-hmm. and starts talking about, he starts talking about, oh, what are you doing? I'm the top insurance agent in all of Southeast Asia and like blah, blah, blah. And like he has to like kind of dance around what he does and hide what he does. And he talks about how he's so tired of hiding who he is and what he does from people and having these same conversations. And all he wants to do is mm-hmm. be normal. And it's like, Wow. This guy was like killing people all the time, like, you know, this gangster and all he wants to do is just be normal and left alone on the bus where he can hand someone back a business card that gets them to just leave him alone for the rest of the bus ride and not ask him more questions. And like instead he has to form this whole fake identity where he has a picture with his black wife that's not really his wife, but it's just a picture with a black woman. And like that's a whole like interesting decision there and he takes up he formulates a fake family said he doesn't have to answer quite it's just you know like all these things it's like that's not gangster how's that gangster but looks like this is what this gangster has to do just to feel how far you have to go to hide your profession because deep down you are ashamed of what you do and he straight up says it i am lazy the only reason i kind of work in this is because the work is done for me I don't have to do anything. I just show up with my guns, kill a couple people, get the money, and leave. I don't have to make decisions. It's simple. I like not making decisions. And that shifts as the movie goes. And he revisits that line and it gets shifted at, at the, towards the end of the movie. He starts talking about how he's getting used to making his own decisions now and like not needing everything so set up, maybe. And like there's that, again, it's like the, the most hopeful motorcycle ride in the world at the end of that movie. <laughs> like you really have so much hope for those two. 
like which is probably a, you know fool's game but yeah you know, it's and, and and once again it's it's beautiful the way that the camera is literally like right there in front of him you know yes. camera so that's close as the wide angle lens yet it's so close Yep, it's it, it, different. And I'm starting to feel like we really do need to do the chunking episode maybe this season. I might have to make an extra room for you because yeah, it's interested in the way that interesting in the way that in Chunking Express you have these very long lenses where we're, we're, we feel close, but the camera is 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 far away from these from these locations. We have these long telephoto lenses, kind of making us look as the observer. And here we feel like we are right in front of them. We are literally observing the detachment. Of which I think the world. is which I think is very interestingly one of the aspects that people end up feeling averted to and uncomfortable with about this movie and mm -hmm. criticizing about this movie. I'm like, that's such a huge aspect of the brilliance. And that feeling that it causes you to have is intentional. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just if at some point you don't feel uncomfortable with what you're display, you're being displayed, it's it's not working, right? Because you know you're you're really look you're, you're you are analyzing the faces of these people, and that's probably one of the most important aspects of these films. Of this film is the faces of what these people. That shot of her eating those noodles, that's not a simple shot of her eating. That's a shot of her contemplating and yearning and 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 then we get the shots of just the hitman being like god i don't know what i'm doing here i don't want to do this and and and, and the mutant and, and uh hoching hoching uh kind of just being like just feeling like this this sort of sadness coming from him and it, it, none of these angles are done without a purpose of wanting for you to somehow dissect the emotions being displayed from their body language. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's so, so human. Yeah. It's, it's so very human. <clears throat> there's, there's also just this interesting, you know, kind of, you know, portrayal of the way that Kong Kong is kind of portrayed here. And it's just, once again, I kind of go back into it. It's suffocating to walk through this video with these characters. And I don't know how suffocating this will feel when we get that World of One Car white box set because the aspect ratio is is being, re it was re-edited. And it's being said that that was the original aspect ratio that One Car Y wanted to work with. So this film is going to be a little bit different when, when next year in March when we get to watch that new edit of uh, of, of Fallen Angels. So uh, even in this one, where we have pretty much a, a pretty open aspect ratio, it feels very suffocating. Like we have that shot of our hitman driving, uh, being rid riding in the taxi as he's going to his first killing. And you're just looking at the city and its neon lights and the rain. And you feel like, dude, I feel so congested here. I, I, I can barely feel like I could walk here. Yeah. And, and in the way... That is kind of what these characters are feeling too. They they cannot feel like they can be who they need to be, and they feel so, you know, suffocated by their their lifestyles and what they feel they need to do. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it, it's so so true, and it's just like to be able to as an audience. What I mean, this could set a lot, but Wong Kar Wai movies are not exactly about the narrative, their experiences. 
Mm-hmm. They really, really are. I mean, like they don't hardly ever end on like a concrete note. They always end on kind of an ambiguous, like this is where we're stopping it. You can imagine the story continuing just like you can imagine the story before it's presented to you. It's this is just part of the timeline of the world it's in for me. So it's just like to have the experiences of the characters as they're having it because of how it's filmed and how it's being portrayed. It just shows the effectiveness of the direction to me because you are feeling what these characters are feeling when they're feeling it. I mean, even when we're going through the videos with the father and him watching the video, you feel how he's feeling watching the video. You feel you're like watching your own family for the last time or one of the last times before you make this. And you can't video. forget about the music that Wong Kar Wai puts in here to really emphasize that time period. I, I mean, one of my favorite tracks is the first killing track. Yeah. I, I, I don't know a damn thing that they're saying because yeah. it's in Cantonese, but I always remember because I'm cool. Because I'm cool. <laughs> I love that track. But, you know, you also have like, if you know Juan Carwai, you know he's a fan of, of, of Spanish music. He's a fan of like, you know, this old 60s and 70s music as well. And he kind of includes a little bit of that with that 60s and 70s music he kind of has in here. It's, it's really interesting. You, you you have that song that plays when the father is making the food, the, the steak, yeah. and he's recording that, and he's got that beautiful song. But you've also got that painful, painful song that plays at the bar when the hitman leaves and the woman is listening to it on the jukebox. Yeah. And it's like basically saying, leave him. Let's go. Forget about him. And that's in, in, the, in, in these music. It's, it's, it's not just music. It's sort of a lay motif. It's, it's, it's needed to present this emo, these emotions that are present within these characters. And I feel like a lot of these songs have a lot of like our, our specific themes for these specific characters. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just perfect. It's, it, it, I mean, yeah. And, the yeah from start to finish every single song the first with the killing song as you mentioned right to only you at the to take it out i mean with that with that motorcycle ride and that only you it's just like mm-hmm. oh it's perfect it, it just it elevates the emotions it never distracts from the emotions never distracts from what's going a good soundtrack or a good score will never you know, one up its visual narrative. No, it will always be part that. of the visual narrative and it will always elevate the narrative. Yeah. It's it, it, if you're watching a film where you feel like the, the music is more important than the film, mm-hmm. it's, it's not done its job. Yeah. It, it wasn't crafted right. Yeah. No, right. It, this definitely was. Yeah. It's just the, the soundtrack. It's one of my favorite soundtracks ever. Fuck yeah. It's, like, it's, yeah. it's amazing. And yeah. I just love the merging of cultures. Again, I'm such a fan of cultures coming together to create mm-hmm. just art. That is the, when cultures are at their best. And it's just the Australian, you know, cinematographer working with the Chinese director, screen. It's just like, it's just, it's beautiful. It's like our, it, it's the world. It's beautiful. Yeah. And then it goes from 60s doo-wops to Spanish. To, it's just, there's no rules. It's what, what fits emotionally and just what fits the and that's the importance know. and i think that's what he takes that's what this film kind of takes from godard is that yes there are no rules this is my playground and i play in it how i want to 
And if sometimes I want to take, you know, dirt from the other playground, I'll take it. But I'm going to make from this playground what I need to make of it. And I think that's what that's why this is such a unique crime drama compared to other films. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to bring up before we get into this final topic that I have here? Um, Other than that, I can't wait to come back to talk about Chungking Express, um, you know, because we're we're going to begin that in at some point. I can't wait to because this is not this isn't this isn't a complete conversation. This is part one. It really is. So I'm not trying to jump ahead or produce the show. Right. But it's like I can't help but feel this is not going to I'm going to be longing for the completion of this conversation. Yeah. Express, but yeah, honestly, uh, no, I just I, I love how much of this movie, and maybe you know, this is kind of weird to say on a podcast, can't be verbalized, can't be it, you know, kind of deciphered exactly. And I think, mm-hmm. um, I'm realizing more and more as I'm trying to talk about this movie, how much of it is it can't be said, it can only be kind of felt and mm-hmm. you know, experienced in a way, and I just think. It's such a powerful movie. I've watched it endless times, and uh, there, there's just so many parts of it I love. And uh, it is it is just one of these movies that every frame is a painting in it, and you can just mm-hmm. pause it and observe and just be marveled. And it will go from black and white to these kind of muted different colors. It's just it is just so different than any. Any other movie in my pantheon of my favorites of all time, honestly. Um, you know, and I just, I admire Wong Kar Wai really just, I mean, going for it with this movie. In 1995, uh, you know, where he was at in his career at this point, it's just, you can tell he really cares about what he makes. It's like... The, there's nothing that's not important in these in these in this film. That there's nothing that's not an important shot. Even the simple shot of of, of following the light on a jukebox mm-hmm. feels important. Yes. Yeah. It all the McDonald's signs are always important. Yeah. The French fries. The it just everything. I mean, you know, it's just it, yeah. This movie is just everything to me, and it it's just like. I just, it moves me emotionally like no movie I've seen, no matter how many times I see it. I mean, I, again, saw it today. I was like not in a mood to be emotional at all. And by the end of it, I mean. Shit, here comes those tears. Yeah, that last 15 minutes, again, I've just never seen anything like that as an individual lost their father. at a. I was three years old when my father died from a brain tumor. And I have had a longing my entire life to have that father, uh, you know, son relationship. I really have. And mm-hmm. even though I didn't have it, I somehow recognize in all these movies when it's bullshit. And yeah. it feels like the most genuine father son relationship I'd ever seen when he's lost at the end is I just I am feeling everything that character is feeling. And I don't know how Wong Kar Wai is able to do that. Um, but it's the like, magic of cinema, my friend. It yeah, is the magic of cinema. Yeah, it's just like in just like the longing of losing memories and the fear of losing memories and the fear of those memories being distant and realizing no matter how you are always a moment further away from that memory that you're attached to and the tragedy of that that's just inherently baked into life that we just spend our, so much time not thinking about 
But this movie, it just shoves it into your face with a wide angle lens and close up. Like the whole, like, you know, like the whole direction. It's like, yo, you're going to fucking think about this. There's no choice. And if you're not thinking about this, that's the only way you won't emotionally be moved by this, in my opinion. Um, because yeah. it, when he says, I'm never going to taste my father, you know, steaks again, but I'll, or you never forget how they tasted. You know, it's like my father never going to cook a steak for me again, but I'll never forget how it's tasted. It's like apply whatever your steak is with your person you're thinking about that moment and it just it will wreck you um and it will just make you realize how how sad and just melancholy this life is and it's just but it's done in a way that is so full of energy and life it has just the most subtle but loud way of presenting melancholy and loneliness and and, 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 you know, yearning love, love yeah. and all these things that so many filmmakers just trip over their fucking dick trying to kind of portray. And it's just takes you out of the movie and makes a movie that, ah, oh, it's headed till that third act. It's like there aren't any acts in Wong Kar Wai movies. It is, it's just a movie. Is, yeah, there's no acts. It's there's just, no, it's just life. Yes. Exactly, and, and that's time, why definitely not linear. No, no it's not. It's it not, and that's what helps these films. I don't think you can have a one car wide film without it being somewhat uh, all over the place, and that's yeah. not a bad thing to say because when it's expected to be all over the place, it's how the story is supposed to move. Mm-hmm. If your film feels like it's all over the place and it's not supposed to feel like that, then we've got another conversation to have. But. Yeah. And that's why it's it's so important. I look at this interesting. Excuse me, don't want to burp into the microphone. Uh, we have this interesting relationship between what is lost, but what is gained yes. in this film. And if and if we want to look at our character specifically, um, we lose a potential partner with the hitman. The hitman loses a potential partner. He loses a profession. But he gains independence. He gains a life that he will soon be happy about. He will soon not be ashamed to say, I work in this. He gains- will actually be able to find a wife and not have to pay a woman $30 to pretend to be his wife so strangers that he doesn't care about Yeah, think about him anymore. Yeah. And we, with that, you know, we, we feel like we can finally breathe for once. He can finally breathe for once. He can feel like this is not where my life needs to be. I cannot continue my life in Hong Kong like this. I need, he said he was going to move to Shanghai, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. He moves to Shanghai. He feels like he can breathe and he feels like he can restart a life where nobody knows him. And the hit's still going to be on him, but you know, what's it called? He at least feels like there will be something else to pursue over there. Yeah, and even if he ends up dying, this is why it's like they didn't have to play it out and be like, he got to Shanghai and he couldn't escape it and he died. And we're going to end with a, you know, a pan out of his dead body as we play like some like some Kenny G or something. I don't know. Like, so I, I'm not sure. I'm not like, but you know what I'm saying here? Like, they didn't have to fully play it out. That's not the point. The point of it is what you said. He has hope. And that is what he was longing for at the end of the day at any point 
in his life was to have the mm-hmm. hope, to have the pride, even if the pride, nothing lasts forever. Nothing, everything's temporary at the end of the day in this life, including that hope. So if that hope dies in the next moment after the scene cuts, it doesn't even need to be shown because what is, I think, important for Wong Kar Wai to explain and express there is that he's getting that sense of hope, that sense of somewhat of control, somewhat of choice, not having someone set it up for him anymore, his decisions, but making his own decisions, which is something at the beginning of the movie, he talked about how he didn't want. And by the end, he realizes it's what he needs and wants. Like, Mm -hmm. character progression. Truly. And the woman, the woman, well, she loses a potential partner. She loses the love of her life that she believes is the love of her life. But with it, she gains a new outlook at life. She gains a, 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 a whole, another hope, a hope that there is something out there for me. This, this, she has to stay in this lifestyle that she's living in. But now that I've had my first real heartbreak, I feel like I can move on. And, and look for somebody who can actually provide that for me. Somebody that isn't afraid to be with me. Someone who isn't ashamed to be, to, to, to what's it called, to move into this feeling. Who doesn't just view me as a part of a business partner. Like I can truly find someone who is, it feels nice to hold them in my arms and not feel like I might lose you tomorrow if the job goes wrong. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And obviously he finds that in Ho Chi and she finds that in Ho Chi. And, and, and then, you know, the sex worker, you know, she, she kind of just, what's it called? Uh, she, I don't think she gains peace of mind. I think that she, she just, you know, she's kind of just um, realized that this guy was never going to clean his act up. You know, I kind of just kept thinking that this guy would, you know, would come, come back, come back to me. And maybe I would kind of fix my shit too, but I, I'm not. Yeah, like the like it, that was just like really an examination of two people waiting to improve each other until the other person can't yeah. them. And it's just like that's just like it's like that a toxic works. toxic but toxic doesn't equal healthy. Nope. More toxic. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, Hoching. Ochin is probably one of our toughest ones. Um, what's he called? That uh, you know, he loses the love. A woman that he falls in love with, he loses his father. Yeah. But I think he's the one who gains the most. He gains independence. He gains hope for life. He gains a. He he can finally leave that hotel room. Yes. He can finally feel like he can be his own person now because, sadly. You know, his father isn't, isn't, you know, the sickness is, isn't going to be holding him back. There will be nothing that makes him feel guilty for leaving that hotel room. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there will be a feeling of, of being free now. It'll be set out to this world and he can look for a job and look for a job where he doesn't have to sneak in at, at, the, at night and pester people to give him money. Yeah. You know, you can look for, um, you know, he, he can look for a partner, which it looks like he's probably found somebody that he's going to get involved with at the end of that film. Yeah. But, but most importantly, he, 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 he emerges from that cocoon. He, he evolves and he's found himself after a tragic passing. And even though he will always have those memories of his father and the life that he had while he was with his father, 
he he can finally concentrate on building something else for himself now. Yeah. yeah exactly. And it can involve building with another person finally, where mm-hmm. before he wasn't a part of society, he wasn't able he wasn't connected to anybody, and that was and his life and his lifestyle would keep him in that, which you know, we can all relate to in some ways of how our, you know, maybe our lifestyles at points end up keeping us from our true interpersonal and personal goals, um, whether we realize it or not. And so like right now in quarantine, we're all being held back from some interpersonal or personal goals in some form or another, I think. So it's like um, that, you know, this to see this world where that isn't uh, an obstacle and they kind of, it feels like have the world that they're oyster. Now that we're in this world where it feels like we can't do anything. It's like, interesting to view this also and view how people feel they're feeling certain ways they're in a prison when it's like oh you feel like you're in prison there try here but again with hong kong and the political situation at that time i think that was you know organically baked into the story on you know intentionally by wong which just really and if that's it i mean unless you have nothing else to bring up i think that concludes our conversation on Fallen Angels. All right. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I can't, I can't think of really. I think we really did a. I mean, I went through everything on my notes, so. Yeah, no, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's a great movie to talk about and uh, add the context kind of that was provided with things that I never even kind of thought about with regards yeah. to the political situation, which I appreciate. Yeah, so it would be interesting to revisit this in March when the when the new re-edit comes out and we see it in, in, in the original aspect ratio that was supposed to be created in and we see the coloring that was originally planned for the film. So uh, I've seen the trailer for the new edit. God, it looks beautiful. I mean, they've done some... I already got my pre-order and you already know. So my pre-order is... They've done some beautiful work on these restorations. I mean, yeah. I'm amazed. And I mean... You expect this when Juan Carvalho is supervising the the restorations. Yeah. So you know, I I knew damn well this was that Juan Carvalho wasn't Juan Carvalho wasn't going to allow some like half-ass restorations. And let me tell you, the fact that he's only fifty-eight um, or sixty-two years old is just so encouraging to me. And the fact that the man says he feels like he hasn't even hit halfway in, in the halfway point in his career. No, there's a lot of things. I was yeah. doing my research yesterday. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I was making sure I had all my notes. I ran through something that was rather interesting about Wong Kar Wai. He took over Ridley Scott for that Gucci film that Lady Gaga is attached to. And he was supposed to be working on that. But obviously he had to drop out. Mm-hmm. And obviously now we have a different director at the helm. That would have been really interesting how to see that, to see that through the lens of Wong Kar Wai. Yeah. Which also would have been the second time he would come over to the United States to work on a film, but it seems like nope. He, I, I I truly believe that when it comes to Wong Kar Wai and 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 a, you know directors like Bong Joon Ho as well, I think unless the script calls for it, they're not coming back to the United States to work. Yeah, there's it, I I do think their um, work both suffers when they've tried to come over here. Um, Wong Kar Wai did see my blue. Um, what is it? I'm my blueberry nights. My Blueberry Nights, and it's gorgeous. You see the cinematography work, you see the direction, but when you hear these words, these this dialogue said by Nora Jones, said by 
Kira Knightley or Natalie Portman, whichever one is, I think it's not Natalie Portman. Sorry. Um, it just, it loses a little bit of it. You know, yeah. even when I recited like the, I'll never have my father make a steak for me again, but I'll never forget how they tasted. Doesn't quite work as well when it's me saying it. It's when it's in the okay, language. Yeah. It's like imagining a Jean-Luc Godard American film. Yeah. So like it's yeah. weird when you heard John Lee Goddard speak in English. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, I don't yeah. want him to speak in English, dude. So Go back to French. Yeah. So I mean, continue the 2046 story, please. Um yeah. Mr. Carwa, I can't wait. Um uh, well, I'm so looking forward to it. I'm so looking forward to it. You can watch Fallen Angels on the Criterion channel, or you can pre-order the World of Wong Kar Wai box set and look at that new re-edit. Uh, these films, these restorations are available to watch on virtual cinema at the film at Lincoln Center, and they're going to be there for a bit. And uh, I recommend, I, I, I have not done that because, quite frankly, I'm broke. But, you know, I, I have looked at the Chunking Express and I have wanted to rent it and also Fallen Angels and see these new re-edits. But I think that I owe myself a little bit more to see it on my 4K player on my TV from the straight from the disc and not being compressed through a uh, through the Internet connection. I, uh, I, I can I can be patient to wait for the for the release. Of World of March 23rd. Yep, March 23rd, 2021. And uh, of course, Aaron, you're not done here yet, man. Uh, we 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 got you on the hot seat, baby. Yeah. Who are you gonna piss off? AKA, who will you? What film will you be cho- choosing when you return next season for Cinema Condition season three? I'm gonna cheat a little bit here because I'm gonna just gamble and see somehow there's gonna be a bonus Chunking Express episode. So I'm not gonna waste my pick on my genie yeah. pick on Chunking Express actually. I'm just going to play a little gamble here. Um, I've been going back and forth between a few different selections. Am I allowed to say those or should I just make my choice and not spoil maybe? Just make your things? choice because then if you want to pick that for an extra pick next yeah. season, you don't oh, want somebody okay. to possibly steal. Okay, perfect. So then I'm just going to go with I'm going to I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to go with Vim's Vendors, Paris, Texas. All right. I am a huge Vim's Vendors fan. Um, this movie is, uh, yeah, this is a special movie to me. Um, I saw it for the first time this year. I have not been able to revisit it yet. So uh, I'm actually really looking forward to revisiting this movie um, when the time comes. Another film in the Criterion Collection, and it also is available to stream on HBO Max if you guys want to go watch that before we discuss it next season, which will be probably next year or like in the winter. I don't know. We need to get done with this second season. I totally get it. But yeah, I mean, you talk talk about face acting. Some of the best face acting ever in a film ever is in that movie. Mm -hmm. It's uh, just beautiful. All right. Well, with that being said, where can they find Aaron on the uh, on the internet? And you know, um, yeah, stuff? you can find me over on Twitter. I'm at Aaron J A Y Brooks. Um, anytime I have different podcasts, I'll be um, kind of putting them out there. Um, so I cover a lot of uh, television shows so far. I've covered uh, Dark. <laughs> All right, that's Chico saying goodbye as well. Yep. Uh, 
but uh, yeah, I've covered a lot of different television shows through with my brother. Um, particular two that uh, I'm particularly proud of on there is Dark, which is a German time travel Netflix television show. If you're into crazy time travel, oh. mind bending, just wild, wild philosophical conversation, all all of the above. It, this show is for you. It's dark on Netflix. Three seasons. We covered all the episodes there. Digesting Dark is the name of that. And then we just completed season four of Fargo on FX, which um, I liked quite a bit. Um, 1950s gangster kind of story. Um, really fascinating. Chris Rock did a great job as well. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. Digesting Fargo. So those two on any podcast catchers, but Aaron J.A.Y. Brooks on Twitter and Slowly trying to actually form a real Twitter game, getting up to double digits on some of my tweets now. Yeah, so, yeah, that's just the beginning. But yeah, I'll yeah. be. I'm around. Um, yeah, and we're so. on Letterbox because uh, Aaron oh. does something that I wish I could do. He takes basically he does like deep dives with directors, and he'll be like, "Okay, I know you said you were wanting to do John Cassavetes next." Yes, uh, I'm currently. I just, well. just began. Uh, saw my first John Cassavetes. Uh, which was Killing of the Chinese Bookie. Absolutely loved it. Um, and I'm Chico. Relax. Chico loved it too. Yeah, Chico knows that it's end of the stream here and he knows it's dinner time. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, my letterbox is Incubrooks. I-N-C-U-B-R-O-O-K-S. And you will, if you're following me, I will be on the kind of friend's recent activity pretty much every day and it will go all over the place at times. Other times... I'll go directly through a director's filmography and watch all of his work. So, um, but yeah, Inky Brooks over there, I-N-C-U-B-R-O-O-K-S. I have a Patreon over there, um, which I don't even know what that means, but I pay to basically be on Letterboxd for some reason, basically support the site. Um, and then, yeah, of course, uh, you know, uh, Sabrina Ramirez's Patreon um, page, uh, very, very active member over there too. So if you want to talk more movies with me, join our Patreon and join the film club. Then you can hear me talk about Wong Kar Rai every week. Sick. Sick. <laughs> That's All it. right. And with that being said, as always, you know, you can interact with me on Twitter and Instagram at the Nerdy Chicano. You can visit my photograph, my, basically my portfolio site at raulamendoza.com and you look at all the stuff that I'm working on whether it's film or, you know, photography, or you can look at stuff that I'm in, that I'm in with, um, with, with podcasting and stuff like that. But uh, as always, I want to thank you all for coming by and, and listening to another episode of the cinema condition patrons, of course, get this available to them early and it's currently streaming live for patrons early and patrons are the only ones who will have access to the video version of this. So guess what? Patreon at the $1 tier is kind of the sweet spot to be if you want to see our faces and stuff. Yeah. And uh, if you want to see Chico in the background too, you know. Yeah, exactly. And apparently Chico could not wait two more minutes to start, you know. I'm glad he didn't do this the whole podcast though. Yeah, yeah. He knows once he, he's heard my plugs before. So he knows, like, he's like, okay, like, we're wrapping it up. Dude, how many times do you need to plug it, dude? Just stop. And like, <laughs> Dark's been over for a minute, dog. You got to let that one go. We're up to number five on the Apple's uh, TV podcast list for one week with that one. So it's like, it was like, was, we're, just, we're, we're done. We need a real podcast. Anyway, oh, uh, I really, uh, I'm looking forward to the next time we're on. And uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, Raul. This is awesome. Thanks, man. 
And as always, we'll catch you guys on the next episode when I bring back Charlie Jones to discuss Jose Luis, Jose Garcia, Berlangas, Berlangas, El Verdugo, the executioner. And uh, watch your movie, guys, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.